Hi, it's Paul. Hi, it's Damo. And it's time for the PD Sports Podcast. With Damo. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 18 of the PD Sports Podcast. Once again, we've got a very, very jam-packed episode for you today. Damo, how are you going? Not bad, mate, not bad. How about yourself, Paulie? Yeah, can't complain, can't complain. Another day. Crazy day. Do you day. want to uh, invite our esteemed guest on for today? Well, this guy here has busted my chops since episode one to be on a pod. We're now on episode 18. Thank you for the support. It's been lovely 18 episodes. But it's taken us this long to get this man in. Special episode, cool for special people. Louis Salonia Hello, Podcast, mate. How are you, buddy? Yeah, alright, so Blue is a big, big, big Italian football fan, uh, Lou obviously watches more Serie A than he does Premier League, and thus being Italian like myself, we're pretty happy with what we're talking about in this podcast, Paul. You want to kickstart us off, let us know what we're going to discuss here today. Yeah, so obviously we haven't recorded for a little bit, it's been a while. That we've is my fault. Quite a bit happening. That is my fault. No, not entirely, but we've had a few things pop up over the last week or so, so it's a little delayed, but it's all right. We are going to go a bit of a deep dive into the Euro final, which um, threw up quite a few different curveballs, I felt, during the game. So we'll delve into that in a moment. I just want to start off today by letting everybody know that we are going to get onto our Fantasy Premier League draft. I've created the league. So we're going to draft um, on the 9th of August, which is the Monday before the season starts, which is the Friday night for Saturday morning for us. Um, so the draft will be at 8.30, Monday night, Adelaide, um, Australian Central Standard Time. Um, and the code is ZEI6HM. This will also be in the Discord. Uh, so if you do want to join the draft format, um, those, the link will be there and the code will be there. So then obviously once you join the league, it will have a running countdown. So it will adjust to your time zone. So we are looking forward to that happening, which is very, very nice. You've got three weeks to get your scouting organized and know who you want to uh, try and draft. But the big ticket item today, obviously, is the Euro final. Um I actually, this is kind of a little funny story about the game. I woke up at about 6 o'clock in the morning our time. Yeah, this is funny. And at 6.01 was when Benucci scored. So I rolled over and as soon as I turned the game on, all I saw was the ball bundle into the net. So, Dame, do you want to kick us off? Just a few early thoughts and then we'll get Lou's thoughts on it as well. More so because I feel like you guys are a bit more invested. Um, awake for the game and invested in the game oh, than I oh was. Oh, mate, like, I was A, very nervous. B, I was quietly confident we would win. I didn't think it would go to extra time and pens. Um, woke up early, had my coffee, sang the, sang the amp in front of my TV, by myself in my room in pitch blackness because that's what you do as a football fan. Um, and look, after about two minutes for a minute, so I was a bit shell-shocked because that was A, great goal by England going coast to coast, B, great finish from Shaw of all people. Um, and then from there, up until the moment we took a mobile off, it looked like we were very eh. And then after we took a mobile off, and we did Sydney more central, um, I thought we were outstanding. And um, Kezia was probably hands down best player on the pitch that we got injured too. Um, but, yeah, early thoughts about breaking into the game too much, obviously, ecstatic to win. So glad that it was Donnarumma. I think there's key things England did wrong in the game. I also don't think we got it tactically right ourselves, but we got it better than what England did, and that's all you need to do on the day. Um, 
But yeah, look, in terms of what I thought of the game, great, because we won and it was on penalties. And when England lose on penalties, it's good to watch. Happens too often, so yeah, it does. Lou, yeah, look, um, general thoughts, mate, just before we I woke delve up, in. Well, I actually didn't sleep that whole night, so I went pretty much straight through. And yeah, I was pretty nervous the whole time. But from the start of the game, it was very, very nerve-wracking. Like, seeing England go up in the first couple of minutes was just uh, bizarre and never thought it actually happened. But leading towards, obviously, half-time, yeah. England was still like pretty much in control, like, still dominating, keeping the ball. And But second half, Italy did show a bit of character. Um, and they started throwing bit more of the kitchen sink at it and keep possessing like keeping the ball pushing it slowly forward but overall going to penalties against the home team in their home country is it's a big win and to see yeah it is uh, just to win at That's Wembley the factor. is probably the biggest factor of the whole Euros you know beating a country at their own ground so yeah I was very very happy um, at the final final score in the end It's almost interesting to see like the impact travel might have had on the tournament. I don't feel like it's been spoken enough. Like I'm not going to try and discredit anything that either team's achieved, but I feel like did Italy play all three group games in Rome as well? Potentially, potentially maybe one. Potentially away. they did. I can't remember off the top of my head, um, but I feel like because yeah. England only played one game away from Wembley the whole tournament, and Italy may have only played two or three away and maybe even that just I've listened to a few players um, just sporadically and they're not picking anything out but it sounded like teams like players that were playing for Poland and Switzerland whatever they didn't have a base they were like going to Bucharest and then they were going to Hungary and then they're going back to Bucharest and I don't think it ever got mentioned because in a tournament most teams even if it's held in multiple cities like it was in 2012 they're still based in one section like for their whole group and then the knockout stages kind of happen all over the place so I feel like it would be interesting to see like post-tournament what players might say um, about the travel demands you know like teams that were you know had played tough group games and then had to travel a lot then have to go and back it up short break with high intensity round 16 quarterfinals games potentially but look end of the day tournament football is you you know, get dealt the hand do you think um, it is a big factor though obviously most of those players do play Champions League so they're not really you know they're always playing away from away from home um, also yeah, that's a good point yeah and like being yeah On but being move. in Europe yeah. like countries Travel are very close obviously yeah in Champions League they do play in other countries but yeah it definitely does have a, a factor obviously being at home in yeah, their home country point. it definitely would have a big factor yeah. Yeah, with fans finally too. It works both with fans. It, it works both ways too. I feel like imagine being an English player stepping up to you know be be in soccer shoes for instance. Like you have your whole nation, and for once I can say this, I was right. There's ninety thousand people at Wembley, right? Uh, that's not ludicrous. Yeah. I actually we can finally say that, and not get laughed at. But um, you know, imagine being there. The pressure as well it takes an adverse effect there too. You know, I feel like that yeah. really, really, really gets on top of you. But I do think over like the 120 minutes is a big positive for England, and that's what makes this so good for it, for for Italy. But I think in terms of the tournament as a whole and travel, because countries are so close together, we uh, 
We we're don't talking even, about the disruption yeah, as well, though. It's a weird you're one. Not settled. Yeah, you're never settled in one spot. You're not settled. You, ne- you never know where you're yeah. playing. Um, well, you know in the group stage, but then obviously, depending on what happens when you're in the knockout stages, you don't know. But I feel like these guys are that much at a professional level. They should be used to that. I've got that yeah. feel. Especially with the situation we're in as well, where everything's been so I like what Lou said, though. Uh, about, flexible. I like what Lou said about the Champions League, because I think about it, the travel. Imagine doing that for a whole year, then have an international tournament towards the end of the year. How yeah, mentally 100%. and physically gone are you by the end of that, though? Yeah. Well, we've seen teams not be able to back up, have we? Well, like, group like big teams group that have F. lots of representation. Group F. Yeah, they didn't go deep, though. That's the key. That, no, that's like, those no, teams that, didn't go deep. That's what I'm saying. They played a massive Champions oh, League campaign. Yeah. They played a massive league campaign, all of these players, right, at the highest level. And then they've gone into Group F, the group of death, right, have got out of that, but had no gas to go do anything in the knockout stage because they're just gone. I think, the players really haven't had a break no, since what? Since, since the end of the season, really. really March? Yeah, well, when yeah a bit around, around that. I remember. Usually, what? Um, oh, sorry, sorry, no, sorry, late last year, sorry. Yeah, um, late last year. September, yeah. September-ish last year to finish and it they've off. And re- they've gone yeah. through the whole season, gone into this international group, um, this international um, game, sorry. Um, and then, yeah, it, for me, it's a bit of a weird one. I know the trouble's not a lot and they're used to it, but at the same stage, I think mentally and physically, at the end of the season, you're pretty gassed. And then if you come for a tough group, it's found you out, I feel. Um, I feel like... The travel and the crowds isn't as big as an aspect as we make it out to be, except for maybe in the final being England in the shootout. Um, and maybe Italy then maybe actually overcoming all the booing and all that in the final. But on top of that, I don't think in the lead up to that, players really care about what the fans do. And Yeah, I think they're just more focused on what they're going to get I, done. I think it's, the fans are a secondary thing. I think it's one of the aspects why Italy beat England on the day is I feel like that Italian squad kind of thrives in those conditions. Especially the two boys at the back, Benucci and Chiellini, are very, uh, very old school, and it kind of fires yeah, you up. Very subtle. Yeah, it's like playing Leighton Hewitt in tennis. You don't want to fire Leighton Hewitt up because he turns into the best in the world. Where if you just stay quiet, like a little mouse, don't do nothing to fire Hewitt up, you beat him in straight sets. You send him out of the Australian Open, for instance. Simple as that. Yeah. So before we dive in, I just want to toot my own horn here. I did say that Italy would win on penalties. You did. You did. And. I'm pretty happy that we, we, we did, both picked the eventual winner. We did pretty well in terms of our predictions on a whole, I feel, this tournament. We, Throughout the whole tournament, I think the one group I got massively wrong was the Spain group. Yeah, I think I got Turkey I wrong. Or I put a lot of eggs in my turkey basket. You had them top, I had them second. Yeah. Um, but I feel like outside of that, we kind of got most things right. Um, I got the... I got one... We both got the one semi-final completely right, the Italy one. Yeah. Oh, no, we didn't. Not Italy, Spain. Um, but we had Italy getting there, and I had Denmark getting there. Yeah. Um, but obviously not against England. Yeah, I had so Italy getting there a different bit. route from the start, but... Yeah, it was good to have them second. Yeah, so they're getting the easy sense. Yeah, so... But anyway, so I've watched back um, larger sections of the game, and it felt... I've actually noticed this in other games, too. I'll just quickly mention it. I feel like big games, goals are starting to come earlier and earlier in finals than I remember growing up. I always remember finals always being really cagey and then there being the odd goal, you know, yeah. 50 minutes in, 70 minutes in. I feel like I'd love to get some data, but even like the Copa America final, you know, 20 minutes in, I felt like that was late for that game to get a goal. Like the, the amount of chances, I feel like teams are really, I don't know if you guys feel the same, but I just feel like games more often in those bigger games yeah, I think, goals are coming earlier 
what do you reckon, Lou? Yeah, I feel I, like... I think you're, yeah, you're, you're yeah, pretty spot, spot on on that one because you can see in the bigger games this year, especially in the Euro and even outside of the Euros, goals definitely do come a lot quicker because I think teams can exploit um, the other team's weaknesses from what they already know about them. Um, obviously, like, in their off games, they would be watching the other teams. So I think it'd be easier to break them down Obviously, watching, seeing how they play, the formations would take a big toll into, obviously, how a team plays. And to counter it, like, obviously, you, you use that different formation to, to counter it. So, I think, yeah, I think goals can be definitely easier to come by, especially in the Euros. It's almost like there's been more work put into other teams over the last few years. Like the teams have a you know better understanding of what they're coming up against, or maybe they're just applying that a bit better. Or like I've I've always think back to Pep and like when even when we we're doing the earlier podcast demo like with Dom yeah. around the Champions League semifinals and whatnot, I felt like he was the one guy we couldn't predict the starting eleven for because we didn't know what he was thinking, and I liked that because it showed he was prepared to either play De Bruyne up front if they felt. They, did, they, they needed the extra number in midfield or, you know, they were able to play a different system or a different shape in bigger games. Yeah. And I, f- I feel like if you if you have that same approach, five, yeah, six, seven finals, you're probably going to win five of them out of seven. Like, because you're a bit more unpredictable. I feel and like... I think that's the way it's going. That's a double-edged sword, though. You live by the sword, you die by the sword, and you die by the sword because you completely change it come Champions League final, though. you got to remember that. Um, and I feel like he went way too far away from what they've done all year. Well, he played Diamond, he played Sterling up top. Um, yeah. yeah, like that's gone too far away. I know what you're trying to say, and I do agree to an extent, but I think that's you still got to keep a system sort of similar. You've got to uh, keep players that kind of understand. Unless you're like trying to do something completely different in the game, like, you know, you're playing against Liverpool, you don't want to leave no space, you go five at the back and just absorb pressure for 60 minutes. All right, go ahead. Right? I understand that tactically, yeah. right? Um, but. If you're Pep and you're one of the best teams in the world, I feel like you can kind of go out there and play your way and make teams change to you. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's what cost Pep in the final. What I reckon it is, is that A, firstly, I agree with what you're saying in terms of goals coming early in big games, especially in international competition. Teams aren't as settled. There's not as much team cohesion. So I feel like defensively it goes out the window. Secondly, I feel like with modern football, we're kind of transitioning to a phase in modern football where the defensive mentality of final has gone out the window and it's more about who can get on top early and control that final. Um, yeah. And even like... I like that. Yeah, though. I like it too. Because back in the day, it used to be the mantra growing up, it used to be finals of cagey, low-scoring affairs, right? And then you get the odd final that spirals out of control, AC Milan, free all against Liverpool. Um, the FA Cup final that following year in 06, obviously went ballistic. But look at the other Champions League FA Cup finals around in... In, um, in the finals, right? Uh, what happened in them? Uh, what well, wasn't the final before, the FA Cup final before that, no 5 0 nil penalty shootout? That was won by, oh, jeez, Arsenal, maybe? Um, I'm, yeah, look, I'm trying that. to think about the other like finals around that era. Man United Chelsea won all extra time, full time penalty shootout was not the greatest game of football by memory off the top of my head as a kid. Um, I feel like I we've, mean, gone we've gone away. We've gone away from that. Finals demo were always sold as you get one moment. Yeah, that's how I always feel. I feel like, like it's a lot always different now. As you get one moment, take your one moment, and I don't. I feel like it doesn't promote football the way that it should be played. I feel like it's got a lot different. I think the newer school coach. You look at Klopp. You look at Pep. 
uh, you know, there's been the leaders at this, they'll go and say, no, I'm going to contradict myself here because Pep didn't do it in this Champions League final, which irritates me, but I am going to say it. You feel like those guys in the biggest game stand by their football and go do what they want to do, right? And yeah. Pep did go back into his traditional system and try to win that game against Chelsea. And I feel like at club football that happens a lot more, right? But I feel like at club football there's a more understanding of how players play together and what you're going to come up against. And sometimes that makes yeah. that tactical battle a little bit more... Uh, you kind of lock horns and you get a bit more defensive game. But I figure internationally you look at it, teams aren't as settled. You know, Benucci and Chiellini, the outlier, really, in international football because they played together they're so together long. together for a month, yeah, really, yeah. as a squad. But as a squad on a whole, that's why I feel like in international big games... Goals come, and we saw that the Euros. The goals have don't not forget though, Chiellini and Benucci Every have been game. playing together for how many years in the same club team? Yeah, yeah, that's why I said that they outlier. Definitely. Yeah, that's why they're the outlier. That's where I think that look, if the in a perfect world, if Liverpool had delete and Van Dijk, a similar thing could happen there for the Dutch, right? Obviously, you're not going to go to a club, but you know, on. You know, to play with your same centre back, your same country, to build an international reputation or understanding. You're not doing that, but I'm saying, in like in a perfect world, if that happened for the Dutch, it could be a similar thing. Um, Noted clubs don't have that kind of uh, ability. That's why I rated the Ukraine. A lot of those players play at the same club here at the Ukraine. Um, yeah. So that's why I said the Ukraine could be my dark horse because there's a lot of team cohesion and um, understanding. I feel that's massive in international football. And that's why I feel like I agree with the statement to an extent that I feel like games are more open and big games now. I think that's down to modern football changing, modern day coaching, going after it a bit more. But I also think a lot of that is skewed by the fact we just watched the Euros scored a lot of goals. Copa America goals came at the cold came early in the in the final of that game. It was a very open game and a different day game could have been free all, for instance, right? Um, yeah. But I feel like if you look on a whole, I still think finals are the level like FA Cup Champions League level and you can go to look at the uh, um, Coppa Italia and you can go look at um, you know the Spanish Spanish Cup and all that I still feel like in the final you still get at a club level it's still a bit more of a defensive final only because teams are always built don't lose the final then have your moment I guess with clubs as well like yes the finals are every year but I think the major countries realistically they get that two-year window and, all right, we'll go again. You know, like, I, I think there's a, as much as it's great for countries to win tournaments, like, you know, for Italy to win, you know, what's the second Euro? Yeah, 54 years or something like that. You put those players in front of a Champions League and they're going to naturally be that more, not defensive, but want it maybe a little bit more at a club level because I feel like the international trophies are like the cherry on top for someone's career like for someone that comes from a real obscure nation winning something would be like unbelievable yeah like for the Danish team of 92 and the Greek team of 04 and you know you might get you know the random World Cup winner that might pop up here and there but for the players that come from a major nation who have grown up being involved in major tournaments every two years I feel like they might be more open to going after those games mainly because they might not ever get to another final but with the club the pressure on the club to win European football what it means for their career as well so sometimes you get teams that have to win a European final in order to re-qualify for Europe so if they don't win that game yeah so if they don't win that game then that might mean they have to pick up their whole family and their life and move somewhere else because they're on a certain wage the club can't afford it you know there's a whole other 
range reasons, but when they get to an international level, it's almost like the club pressure is completely off. The international pressure is definitely there. I'm not going to say there's no pressure playing for your country, but you could probably be a bit more free. You're playing with your mates. You're, there's the camaraderie there that you're all from the same country. You probably all speak the same language, obviously, but you might not get that at a club level. It's probably a bit more fun. It's summer. You know, there's just a few things there that might actually relax players a little bit more over the course of an international tournament. They know that they're there for a month and then they piss off back to their <laughs> their clubs. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like... Maybe that lends into it being more free flowing and better better viewing sometimes than some too? of the club games. I think so too. Anyway, what, what would you say? Obviously, yeah, yeah when you're talking about that, but live. say for a player like Messi, who's won everything pretty much at club level, and then obviously playing for Argentina, which is always, yeah. you know, they've always got the Copa America or the World Cup, and they very rarely, let's say, in a long time, they haven't won anything internationally. Yes. So what would you think for Messi, like, in that sort of instance, like, he's won pretty much everything you can win outside of international, and now, you know, finally he's, yeah. Yeah, that's a fair point. I think it's very player-based. Guys like Messi, all of a sudden, I've won everything at a club, I need this international trophy. You saw how much it meant to him. But then you've got people that, you know, I think at a club level, um, haven't won anything, and they'll go... Absolutely yeah. ballistic I mean, for stuff it. For Germany yeah, or Spain. yeah. I feel if you're anyone in the German national team, the Spanish national team right now, like take for instance, uh, let's take for instance like Pedri or uh, let's speak to someone there from Germany that's quite young but quite Kimmich, talented. Havertz, uh, ha- like Goretzka, Havertz. Yeah, all these sort of guys that you haven't done anything really yet on an international, uh, sorry, in a Champions League perspective. Probably oh, sorry, not, guys have won Yeah. It's hard. What I'm trying to say, Havertz has won one now too, so maybe probably poor examples. What I'm trying to say is that they know probably the national team's good enough that they're going to be there around the mark, where the Champions League may only come around once or twice in their lifetime. So I feel that would fight. Messi yeah, where Messi's a different. Yeah, well. he's lost the World Cup final. He struggled at Copa America, and now it probably does mean more. Yeah, because he's now won so many Champions He's been around the block. I feel like, yeah, but he's also been in a position yeah. to win international trophies in the past, and it's not happened. Not because of his fault all the time. Yeah. But maybe because he's an older player, and that's it what I was going to get at. Is that I feel like it's pretty rare that someone of his quality and of a nation that he comes from doesn't compete. Like I know, obviously Ronaldo's won the, the Euros, but I wouldn't put Portugal on the same level as Argentina as a international powerhouse opportunity yeah. for developing international quality. Yeah. They're probably a better team now, to be honest. But um, with a, with an aging Ronaldo, but he's got his at least as well. Like I don't think it would phase him. Obviously, he'd want to win the World Cup, but I wouldn't. He won't lose sleep over yeah, not winning the World Cup, I don't think, because he's won so much at a club level. Yeah, same here. I feel. I feel like the big thing here is that I feel like when you're young in your career, right, you want to win as much as you can at club level, and I feel like the older you get and the more accomplished you become, you then focus. Oh, can I win it? Can I win an international title to, t- to tick it off? I feel. Yeah. I feel like that's the best way, and I feel like for Messi because he's tried to do both over such a long period, he's finally got it. Got it. Got it done at the Copa America level. Great. And the same for these Italian players. Like, they've been around the block a lot. Like, Chiellini and um, Benucci, for instance. They've achieved a lot in their career. This was the icing on the cake. Yeah, probably will be because, I mean... Unless they go around Jimmy's and win. league still eludes them. Though. Yeah, it does. And I don't think that's going to come to them in their career, unfortunately. But, um, you know, you would imagine 
Italy will fight for the World Cup. You can't say they're going to win the World Cup. I you never know. With Allegri, they could win yeah, it. Yeah, but oh, look, oh, it's always possible. But um, I feel like the older you get, and uh, the more the international becomes, I think, a bit more lucrative to you or you want to win an international title. I'm not saying that you don't when you're younger, but I feel like if you're coming from a good nation, you feel like that you're going to have a period where you're going to win one. Yeah, you'll have an opportunity. But the older you get, you go, well, yeah. now I don't know. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's fishtail our way back to the, the final. Um, I'm just going to get my little early thoughts out and then I'll hand the floor over to the two of you guys. I just felt what we're talking about with Southgate just came to fruition. The goal came early. Yep. He wasn't expecting it. He panicked and then was reluctant to change things. Um, really... There, there's a world where they could have been 3 new up. Oh, definitely. 100% agree. 100% time. agree. And the fact that they... Like, I felt like the players actually froze and they're like, holy crap, we're winning. We're winning. Oh, my God. There's so many people here. We're winning. We're winning. Let's not lose. And the players just instinctively went in their shell. Second half. After yeah. probably the 30, 35th minute, I felt, from when I watched it back. And I was like, that's the moment. That's the moment the players went, nah, this is, we've tried again. We haven't scored. If we go again, we're going to get hit on the counter. Let's stop. And then from that moment till probably right at the end of normal time. Because he gets injured. From when I, when I watched it live, there was a period of five minutes at the end where I saw Italy just holding on. And I'm like, do not try and hold on right now because like Saka was running at the defence and... You know, know Sterling's running at the defence. Yeah, yeah, and I thought, holy crap, they're going to do it. That was probably the only other time in the game because I felt like extra time just sort of just sort of neandered away. I feel like they were a better team in extra time, to be fair. That's that's also because because they were playing for the draw in the extra time. I feel like they were sitting really deep just to try to get over the line just to, to the penalties. Uh, there, I think there's factors for that, but I feel like we go in chronological order. Let's not start of extra time. I feel yeah. really new, Lou, or else we'll lose ourselves here. So, uh, look, yeah. I think as that was my little thoughts. Yeah, I feel like Lou can obviously chip in here too. I feel like it was definitely a game of two halves. I do. I really do. I feel like England dominated most of the first half. I feel like after what Paul said about the 35th minute, it kind of we kind of came back into it. And I think Lou mentioned it. We actually started looking to keep the ball and start going. Okay, we just need to play a more expensive game of football here. Um, and once we did that, we looked m- more comfortable at the end of the first half. Then second half, I feel like the game really changed. The Mobile, as much as I think he does very well off the ball, um, had to come off because he was playing very poor. And the moment we moved Insigne into the middle, Barati came on in one wing, Kezia moved to the I'm going to stop you there. We look like the Just quickly. <laughs> For me, ah. Immobile should never play another international game. Yep. See, for me, I see what Mobile does and creates space so fighters around him. So poor. There's going to be someone else that gives you more goals, though. Yeah, but who? The who? He's been who? getting taken off every game, the one, though. The, that, the, one, the one thing that I, I don't believe in this Italian squad is Belotti being good or even being part of the squad. The guy's a donkey. I wouldn't even let him take a penalty. You know, I'm a big believer. I don't want to go talk about it right now, but I'm a big believer. Big players who are having a good game should take pens. Belotti came on. 
didn't do nothing up front, didn't offer us any hold-up play, wasn't able to do any link-up play, where I think Immobile gets in the right position to create space for wingers to run beyond, drops in, picks the ball up, keeps it simple. But Lotto can't do any of that. For me, you never should have even gone. For me, Italy missed a big opportunity. It to be Moise Keane. Exactly. Moise Keane definitely needs to be in that team, squad. Right? He should have really yeah. went. Yeah, and he provides us something different, because if it's not happening yeah. with Immobile, we can go with someone that's a bit more direct and can run at people. And we didn't, then we could keep Insigne and Kezia wide, and we could use Berardi as a straight swap instead of having to throw one of them centrally. But once we did take a mobile off and we threw one of them centrally, yeah, we looked like one of the best teams in the world. That's how they should have just played anyway, because you, you are going to be a team that plays more direct regardless, because that's just how we're we not are. saying it's a bad thing, but you're sitting that bit deeper, so the space is there. So play the three guys that are a bit quicker. and that's what, like Chiesa, Once Chiesa went inside, he looked more damaging than he did off the wing. Oh, yeah. 100%, 100%. I feel like when he's running at you, it doesn't matter what side it is, but he prefers coming onto his right foot. He looks... Keza is unreal. honestly, hands down, probably one one of the, the best players for Italy this tournament. And I don't... like I, Before he was. the Euros, I didn't think much of him, obviously watching him at Juventus, but he's really, really shown something. And honestly, without Keza in that final, that scoreline could have been definitely a completely different scoreline. Well, when you start putting him on the back foot, it stops him playing, and he definitely provided an outlet for us to do that. And up until he got injured in the second half, yeah. we could have won that final in normal time. You know, yeah, we're a little bit fortunate with the goal. I said it to Paul straight away in the chat, and you can read up, Paul. At 6.02, I didn't celebrate the goal because I said straight away, watch Vardis allow this. Chiellini's fouled um, yeah. Harry Maguire Stones. or Stones, one of the two of the six-yard box. Stones. Yeah, and then I realised once you're in the replay, they both grabbed each other. But from straight away live, I was like, shit, he, he, we're going to get this disallowed. Yeah. Stones could have played that ball and Kale- Kealing's just taking him down. Yeah, and then in the end, you watch the replay, and they're both tugging with each other. And I'm like, phew, okay, that's that's fine. Goal's going to be given, right? But um, I feel like after that goal, we were yeah. there was only one team that looked like winning it in the 90, and that was us. And I felt confident we would. Um, and then... Extra time came round, and I feel like England were the better team in extra time for two reasons. A, we lost our biggest outlet in Kezia, which kind of was like, well, who do we have now? We've got to put Belotti on. Belotti's not going to give us nothing because he's garbage. Uh, right, we're playing for a draw. Old school Italy, let's just sit deep and do nothing. I think, secondly, we had to do that. England had fresh legs. Suckers running at you now. They've got speed behind with Sterling. is going to go down at any, time, any little touch or sneeze around him. Uh, we've got to give no space in behind or else we're going to get beat. And I feel like that kind of forced our hand to play a certain way in extra time. I feel like in extra time, England deserved to win, but at the same stage, Italy had no real so other extra way to time play. For England, they honestly should have been on top. Let's just disregard the game for a second. Look at their, their bench. Their bench is arguably yep. better than their starting lineup for me. Arguably. Yeah. Exactly right. Oh, they've got players on that bench that should be starting for them. He mismanaged that extra time so poorly. Yeah. Like, how Grealish wasn't on in normal time, number one, oh, yeah. was appalling. And then how he's making two subs in the 119th minute just for penalties for a guy that's played 90 minutes in Sancho yeah. and Rashford hadn't even stepped on the pitch the whole tournament. But Makes no sense to why, me. And why are, no we taking off, why are we taking off Henderson after he has been ta- well, just brought on? Probably, what was it, 15, 20 minutes before? When Henderson is a good penalty yeah. taker, yes, I understand Rashford and Sancho can bring a bit more urgency to the forward line and a bit more goal-scoring threats, but you're in extra time. 
Yeah, you're in extra time. You've, you've got about five minute minutes to go. Not even. A minute to go. Not even. It was a minute to go. I will say... I will say they tried to make the change a bit earlier and then they didn't have the paperwork done. Yeah. And so they, much they, earlier the though. Was not. it really that much earlier? They stood there for a bit. Yeah, but it should have... Rashford that, came on at right that should have been. That should have been the 105th minute. It should have done yeah. that half-time, extra time, so they had 15 minutes to run yeah. at people. We were there for the taking. And just get into the game. Yeah, well, I'm a bit... They didn't touch the ball. I like the substitutions in theory. And it's something I would have done on Football Manager, right? Yeah. But at the same time... Guys, I think that the understanding's good, but it was put to me very, very, very well by my barista. How do you think you're going to score a penalty? You haven't touched the ball before you walk up to take the penalty and impress this position. Yeah, right? They had to get on the ball, get into the game, feel the flow of the game, get the heart rate up, and then all of a sudden, as a player, you're into the game. Instead, your first thing to do in the game is to walk in front of 90,000 people and take a penalty for your country. It doesn't work like that. On football manager, great. 190th minute, yeah, great. I'll make two changes to come in. But it's a game. Football, you know, Southgate should know he's a great manager if we think he's a great manager. Me and Paul have said it plenty of times before we don't rate him. I think there's another point in that section that we shouldn't rate him. I do rate him a bit highly, more highly than I did before the tournament because I think what he has done in terms of sticking to his principles and the way he's played and his management of games have been better than what I thought it was going to be up until the final. I feel like he's made massive mistakes makes me think he's a better manager than what he was. But that final showed... I don't feel that, that test enough, yeah, though, man. That, I conceded two goals all tournament. That final showed that he's still Sorry, not at that level. Sorry, but he definitely lost in that game. So, yeah. to me, he's manager. not Absolutely. a great manager. And he definitely yeah. stuffed up. No, look, me, me, me and Paul definitely, definitely, definitely have said that. We don't think he's superb. But... And there's obviously yeah. other decisions that we'll talk about in a second... But I feel like if he brought Grealish on earlier, the boys that they that he wanted to take a penalty on earlier, and he left Jordan Henderson on, which I'm going to get to in a second because that was appalling, I feel. Um, yeah, I understand, by the way, um, they probably would have been in a better situation. I understand why he took Henderson off. He missed a penalty in a friendly. You've got to miss penalties. You know, I think he even said it in his press conference. He's the captain of one of the biggest yes. clubs in I'm, the country. Gonna, He's not going to bottle yeah, it. Yeah, I'm going to... I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I agree, but secondly, he even said in his press conference, 70%, a, a ratio of about 70% is good enough to be an elite penalty taker in world football. If he said that in his press conference, which he did, then Henderson has to stay on the park because he's missed maybe one, two penalties. Like... Yeah, I, can't, I couldn't care. Yeah, but yeah, there's not many penalties. What, he's missed maybe two... Because he doesn't take he, them for Liverpool Yeah, as well, well he, he, he only that. takes them for Liverpool when Milner's not on the park and then Bobby doesn't put his hand up to take it. And then he takes it. So it's happened very rarely, well. but I don't remember him missing a penalty for Liverpool yet, right? And then I remember him taking one. Uh, I think he's taken <laughs> two. I think he's taken two by memory. I think I've checked this. Someone tell me if I'm wrong. But, yeah, Henderson, I think, has taken two penalties for Liverpool. I think he's taken a couple. As an experienced player, I still think Henderson should have been taking um, a penalty. But yeah, that's the thing. And look, we will, yeah, we, we will we'll touch on it now because it's the next point to talk about it. The choice of penalty takers for England was a bit interesting, to say the least. I understand players in that situation are asked by coaches or the coach goes, you're taking a penalty, right? But players do turn around. And I've had it to me as a coach where you've told a player you're taking a penalty. He's turned around and gone, no, I'm not. And there's been for multiple reasons. I've had players tell me because, no, I don't want to take it because of nerves. Okay, who's next? 
He's taken two, Damien. I was correct, wasn't I? He's taken no, no, he's taken one for Liverpool. One for Sunderland. And one for England. Okay. Nah, so he's yeah, taken one against Sunderland. Arsenal. And he scored. He has not. I'm looking at his, as a professional footballer, oh, okay. he's taken one club penalty and he scored it. Yep. And the one that he missed against Romania. All right. Interesting. There you go. But he, he's a sort of guy that... I'd still trust really him well. to take a penalty. Yeah. I rate that. I still... I would, and he's a senior player. Look, the, the reason why I look at it is players will tell you nerves, they don't feel it, they're a little bit injured or tight because it's been 120 minutes, will tell you, no, I'm not taking it. I feel like he has to let Rashford take it because he brought him off the park. He brought him on the park. He has to let um, then, in that case, who else? Um, Sancho take it because he brought him off the park, right? Rashford's penalty spoke of someone that was not confident enough to take that penalty. It just looked weird, right? Um, the stance made no sense. Um, Sancho, I feel like what... Panicked. By the way, what I feel like what Panicked. Rashford tried to do is a bit what Jorginho does. And credit the Pickford because that's a great save, by the way, right? Um... He just, you try to run up in a way that kind of makes the keeper go early, right? And then you just go the other side. Yeah. And just Donnarumma just stands there. He just stood there. Yeah, he goes the wrong way, but he stands there for as long as possible. And that's what you're taught as a keeper in a shootout. Stand there for as long as you can. And in the end, Rashford makes a decision and goes, okay, I'm going that way, and then overcompensates and just puts it wide, right? Same with Jorginho. He then is forced to pick a spot because Pickford stood there. And then Pickford's made a great yeah. save, right? Um... Sancho's penalty is just you know Donnarumma's good keeper that was pure panic yeah. because Rashford missed before yeah him. and he's just kind of just oh, I'm going to hit this here and Donnarumma just has to go the right way right and then uh, I feel for Saka because look he shouldn't be the one taking that penalty yes I probably understand that A. Southgate has probably got A. confidence in him B. Saka's probably put his hand up and said I'll take it C. they've probably seen that he's a good penalty taker somewhere down the line right I haven't watched he's enough of Saka. Never, taken, that, never taken a professional penalty. Yeah. They've probably seen that at a youth level then, right? That he takes a good pen. For me... Uh, I think he's just the only person that has bottle and says, fine, I'll do yeah, it. Yeah, for me, there is players that should be taking it. Paul, you said this. I'm going to let you say the players because I 100% agree with what you're going to say. All I'm going to say is if Henderson's on the part, Henderson should be taking this penalty. As a captain of Liverpool Football Club... Well, since I said it to you... Yeah, well, Henderson's is different. You can't say Henderson because he got subbed yeah, off. Yeah, but so I understand that. That's, he's out. That's something that I feel like the manager shouldn't have done. When I look at that squad... There's, yeah, you say there's that because... one player who has since come out and 100%. said, I want it, and Jack Grealish. Yep. So the, the, the fact that... So he, I, I really like the fact that he has come out and said, I wanted to take one. That puts all the pressure back on the England coaching team. Why they didn't put him in the five. I actually think Saka should have taken his second or third. And Rashford, although he missed, for the quality he is, and he scored big penalties for me United, he scored the one to keep him in Champions League, blah, blah, blah. He should be taking the fifth one. Saka should be taking the third one. Leave Maguire second if he wants it. But at least if Saka misses his second or third, at least the... You know, there's time. Like, I, this is if where you really wanted to take one. This is where I don't like when coaches put their best penalty taker first. I don't understand why Harry Kane. I think you need to. I don't uh, see in that shootout. You don't want to miss the first one. See, 
You don't want to start on the back foot. I'm a big believer in if you trust your keeper to make a save, you can afford to miss the first one. I don't want to miss the first one. Don't get me wrong. But I let an experienced player take the first one, but your best penalty take takes penalty four or five. Because penalty taker number four or five is either going to set you up for a spot to chance to win or to win it, and penalty taker number five is either going to give you a chance to keep in it or win it, right? And that's where you don't want a 19-year-old kid walking up to keep you in it. That's where you want probably Harry Kane to step up with big penalty taker number five. Right, I've always done. Almost that. Do you think is their goalkeeper going to make enough saves before yes. we even get to four? Yes, because Donnarumma is capable yeah, of making three right? saves. Bang, but bang, you also got to put it. confidence in your lads to take it and score. Right, you got to go. All right, I've got four other lads that are going to probably score a pen. That's the problem. I need a guy there to go... was not enough guys that they could rely See, on. That's I think why there is. Nineteen-year-old Saka. There's not Saka had to take no, one because the there coaching wasn't team enough. got it wrong. Because Jack Grealish probably would. And if I was there, Luke Shaw would have been first on my list because he had a great game. He's got a sweet left foot. Far out. I'm a big believer as a coach. If you've had a great game, you're going to step into that penalty with confidence and score. And that's the difference that you we're could rate the England coaching team. Oh, well, you I could even like give Sterling a penalty, for instance. <laughs> exactly. I, I think I he's very think clinical he's when he steps up to a penalty. Like when it. Going like one on one with a goalkeeper, he is very, very clinical. He just doesn't. So I, I, I understand, but as a mature, a mature age player. Yeah, that was another name I did say to yeah, Damien, did. but I didn't feel comfortable suggesting it tonight because I've thought about Sterling a lot, Lou, and I go, I've, I've seen him just scuff shots, and it's like in a high pressure penalty, he doesn't shoot with power. You know what I mean? He's more placement. Especially against Donnarumma, you, 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 if you're gonna go for placement, it has to Still be. Still a better choice than Saka, though. Yeah, and I don't think he's got that in him. Well, if Saka's confident, I know it's. I, I don't agree with him. Not all. Not all. I don't think Sterling. Fed him to the wolves. English Sterling's not. Sterling's not an eccentric player either. You know, I mean, he's not gonna say he wants it. He's very. He's been through a lot. He would have been thinking about shit. If I miss this. I'm gonna cop it. Yeah, he's been copping it all tournament. He's a top scorer, and he was still copping it. That's why. That's why so I. I reckon he. They protected Sterling a bit, which I liked. Oh yeah, I, I would I have protected Sterling that. too. Who would have been your five penalty takers for England? Go. Me. In what order? Go off the top of your head. Oh, in order. Yeah. I still start with Kane. I then finish with Rashford though, so they're my two best. Yep. So I start and finish with my best. I then go Saka 2, Maguire 3, Sancho 4. I'm only saying Saka because there's got to be something that he's had to have put his hand up. If Saka didn't want it, I then put Grealish at 2. That's my only substitution Mm. in that order. Personally, I would have done Maguire first. And then Kane Kane last. Kane last. Yeah. But definitely Grealish amongst it all. Yeah. And probably, probably even Luke Shaw amongst yeah. it all as well, um, and Rashford. And I would have probably taken out Sancho and Saka. Yeah, I've never seen why. Sancho take a penalty. See, I ha- I've never seen him. Play I haven't either. But my list would have been Rashford first. I brought him on to score a pen- penalty. You have the first one. You're the one that's going to get me started. I brought you on to take this moment. Bang. You get me started. Harry Maguire stays number two because he hits the ball sweetly. Saw the pen. Great pen. Jack Grealish gets into the five for me. He comes in at penalty taker number three. If you've missed the penalty, you need him to score. He's a good enough player to score. He wants the pen. Off you go. Right? And that's the thing by having Harry Kane. If you miss the first two penalties, you need the score to stay in. All right, Harry, you're not taking penalty number five. You have to take this one. Keep me in it. Right? Off you go. 
You save yourself as a coach. You change the order on the fly if you need to. Yeah, you are. Right? Yeah, you are. But in the yeah. end, Greedy takes my third. Yeah, you are. You don't have to nominate. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know right. that. You don't have to nominate. It's not like he's the list referee. It's just who goes up. Okay. Right? Then right, cool. then I've got in brackets Sancho slash Saw at four. Now, I've brought Sancho on as a coach. If I'm the English manager to take a pen, I've got to bat that decision now and play it. Personally, I would have not have bothered. I would have put Sancho on to maybe change the game a bit earlier. But I would not have been for a penalty. But if that's the decision to make, Sancho stays in the fourth spot because that's another important penalty for me. And if he's one of my star penalty takers, he stays there. For me, it would have been Luke Shaw because he he's had a good game, strikes the ball very well, right? But for me, my penalty take number five would have been Harry Kane. And I would have rather Harry Kane in Saka's spot in that moment. Because if he misses, captain of England, yeah. big game player, he misses, keeper makes a great save. I wear it as a coach. He wears it as a player. No trouble. Instead, it's a 19-year-old. As a coach, I get ridiculed because why is a 19-year-old coach going? A 19-year-old going to score, right? And secondly, as a 19-year-old player, in his biggest moment in his career ever, doesn't matter what he does now, he could win five yeah. Champions Leagues now, Saka, could be the world's best player. That, at 19-year-old, is going to be the biggest moment of your career. To win England's first trophy since 66 at Wembley to keep you in a game keeps, against what is going yeah. to be the player of the tournament in five minutes' time. And the best keeper in the world at the minute. Yeah. You're not sending a nine-year-old to hit that pen, are you? Really, are you? I would love to have five minutes with Gareth Southgate. Just to ask, ask why. What was the thinking? What was why? What did you see? Was there seriously no one no, else? No, you want to know what I reckon has happened? He has got no one else, A, but B, he's watched all the penalties in training because apparently they've worked on it and he goes, oh, fuck, so, it's like he hits a good pen. Yeah, but it's different under pressure. That's where you've got to go with big game players, guys that hits the ball sweetly in-game. You know, for me as a coach, I'm thinking, okay, who scored goals in the box consistently that puts a ball and hits it well? Right? Grealish. Henderson's done it previously, that goal against Chelsea. Well, he's in your five. Um, Harry Kane's done it, right? Then I'm thinking, who scored big time penalties in the career? Rashford, right? Maguire's obviously... Kane. Calvert-Lewin, another one. one. You know, I'm thinking like... Didn't even get a minute. No. Nah. Didn't get one. I Calvin can't Phillips, believe yeah. that. Italy on the... What about Calvin Phillips as well? See, Calvin Phillips to me is someone that I would have preferred over Saka because he's the sort of guy that you think he hits a ball. He would have smashed the yeah. roof off the net. I feel like if you're up against Donnarumma and you need someone to take a penalty, you're going with someone that's going to hit it hard, right? And there you go. Yeah. I think it's the old English mentality and it's showing that what I know about football. Like Glenn Hoddle missed a massive penalty in the Euro, in the World Cup in like 90, 90% of the yeah, Southgate missed West, Against West Germany. Um, is it, yeah, we against West Germany 90-90, I reckon. Um, and Southgate missed in 96 Yeah, Southgate missed in 96 Yeah, out. right Exact same penalty yeah. <laughs> I feel like That's yeah. a that's a good thing for Saka Because he's got to have someone that understands But for me Hoddle missed a um, Missed a blazing over the bar of power And I think Southgate remembers that Remembers that he missed one in the in a situation He's gone with someone That he thinks hits the ball into a corner well Instead of who hits it the best but just mm. feed your most inexperienced player. Yeah, to Wolves. It's silly, man. Saying. Silly. I would have rather Pickford take that penalty than Sucker. That says a lot. He was taking it next, apparently. That's mental. Apparently Pickford was the next one. That's mental, though. Really? That's yeah. hit him well. He does, he he does have good long-range on... passing, by the way, Pickford. He impressed me this tournament. But, yeah. Yeah, but then, he's, then you're saying Grealish is not taking one until seven, that, that's, at least. See, that's dumb, because who who's the penalty taker at Villa? Ollie Watkins. Yeah, right. But after Ollie Watkins, who do you think would be the next penalty taker? 
Douglas Louise, the way he's a free kick, maybe. Yeah, probably. But, but Jack Grealish probably in your three yeah, or four five, right? If it went to a shootout, yeah. he's taking it. According to the football manager, he has twelve penalty takes. Grealish hasn't taken one for two years. Yeah, I get that. In a game, two years. Of but that's probably why. That's probably why. Mate, but he has said he wanted to take. He one, did, and that's the difference. And I feel like you have got a guy like that. You have got to let him take it. The year he's had. The way he hits a ball. Yeah. Right? And there you go. I also... He's been around long enough. He's probably harder to read than what Saka would have been, too. Because Saka was very telegraphed. Oh, everyone knew where Saka Everybody was Everybody knew. Donald Rumor was... When he saw him roll up, Donald Rumor was just like, yep. Thank you very much. I went from being nervous. Fuck, we're going to lose this now that Jorginho's missed this penalty. Seeing Saka walk up and go, we're going to win no, this right uh, now. Donald as a, to the a crazy Milan supporter... I had full faith in Donnarumma when we went to penalties, even before the penalties started. He has saved numerous penalties for Milan. His wing, his wingspan is ridiculous. If he, if he honestly picks which way every time the player is going, he will reach. I reckon nine times out of ten between standing point to the post. Yeah, that's why I was very surprised Kane scored. Once Donald Rumor went the right way, I was like, here we go. But yeah. Nah. yeah he just looked like he wasn't going to get beaten too often in that shootout. Exactly and right. He saved two out of the last three and one hit the post. Yeah. So, And I think Rashford knew that this has to go side netting. Yeah, and, that- and the way he takes his penalties, you can't be looking at him the whole time and then hit the side netting. Yeah, that takes yeah, exactly. some player. You know what I mean? Like, you don't see Harry Kane staring at... This is the difference. You don't see Harry Kane staring at Donnarumma. He goes, I'm going inside, left No, that is the difference. Choosing to it, good on him. your spot and yeah, actually hitting that spot, yeah. Not changing your mind. Incisive. It That's the difference between a good penalty and a shit penalty. Yeah. Well, like trying to read the goalkeeper. A good goalkeeper is going to say, I know you do this. And to be fair, no one is... I mean, people have been saying that. Jordan Pickford... Hands up, surprised the crap out of me because he, everyone everyone else I've watched against Jorginho, Moves. they bite. They bite. Why bite? Just stand there. Oh, if I was a keeper against if I was a keeper against Jorginho, I'd rather stand there and stay central than anything, cause knowing that he'll he doesn't he gets no power in the penalty anyways. That if you're a good enough keeper and you have got a big enough arm span, you you're there. probably gonna dive after you hit it and still save. Right, but um, yeah, yeah look. It is what it is for England. It is what it is for Pickford because I feel like he was unlucky. But at the same stage, what can you say? I feel like they've got it wrong. Italy got it right. The only penalty take I was annoyed at was yeah, Lottie walking up because I'd had no faith in that. I literally turned around and said, oh, this is a miss. We need Don Rubin to make a save. Honestly, I miss. think Locatelli so should have stood up for that penalty well. um, instead of Bellotti. Oh, yeah. Same here. As a, uh, look, I, I was... I was waiting to see Locatelli start up at twos in the time, but that didn't happen. But that's all right. Look, at the end of the day, we made one less mistake yeah, than we didn't. What do you mean? Simple as that. Now, there's other Alrighty. other factors to talk about this. Yeah. This is really sad. This is. I'm not going to lie. This is. Now, Lou, you shared, you uh, shared something, look. and it got me very angry. Did you... Now, there's some certain I'm, fans. Yeah, I'm not going to go into fans, too much exactly. depth because I've spoken to a few, yeah, a few English supporters after this seeing this video, 
And yep. they've honestly agreed with me in terms of what I've said about it. Briefly, I will go into what, exactly what happened and yep. what I've said. So basically, after the game, yep. the England, uh, sorry, the Italy supporters were walking out the gates to leave the stadium after the chanting. The yep. English supporters were waiting for them inside the stadium, waiting for them to get out to the gate. Once they got out to them, they were chucking beers, they were getting them on the ground, they were pretty much shoving them to the ground, kicking them, punching them, spitting on them. And it was honestly, to, to see it, it was, was honestly disgusting to see that. Look, yeah, fair enough. Everyone's yeah. at some stage probably drunk. Um, you can blame so many. You can blame so many reasons, but you're gonna also upset. think if yep. the foot was on the other shoe, would you honestly be the same? And personally, I don't think the Italians would do that. I think. It's just an ingrained yeah, it's, cultural it's, it's an thing. English thing. At this point. It's an English thing. It just makes a sport look okay, obviously. rubbish and unprofessional. And, yeah. you know, like, it gets me aggravated to say it because, like, seeing that was really, really, really poor on England's behalf. But, like, knowing that I had the English supporters that are mates of mine behind me and say, yes, look, I, I didn't like what I saw either. Sort of knew that, okay, all right, just because I'm an Italy supporter and I'm Italian, I am not being biased. Like, other people do see it, and it just, yeah, it wasn't good to see it, and it just tarnishes the sport. Like, it just makes it look really unprofessional, in, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I 100% agree with you as well. Um and then it's important, yeah, as we've already said, it's important to understand that, yeah, it's definitely a minority yeah, exactly. of um, supporters that were at the ground, but it's just such an ingrained we have plenty, culture of English plenty. football that's just hopefully dying out in the next wave of, you know, the generation. We the hope idea so, of football becoming a yeah. family, you know, family outing, which is, I feel like the A-League is. Like, we don't see it in Australia. Yeah, like, like it's a safe environment for everyone to go to where I feel like England's still, you know, quite a bit behind um, the rest of the world when it comes to that because there's a very pub culture. It's go get pissed before the game with your mates, then rock up to the ground and talk shit. You're that close to the players. It's not like other European uh, grounds where they're removed. There's no fencing yeah. like Anfield. You're there. You're on the touchline. Yeah. You know, you can say what you want, you can throw what you want, you can do whatever you want, practically. Like, it's, you know, the access is unbelievable, but people do take it too far, and that's what happened here. And I've seen lots of English people that are YouTubers and whatever comment on it, and they're all disgraced, which is the response. And it's interesting, because these people are trying to keep that hooliganism in football, but the way to actually eradicate it is by getting more people there and forcing them out and making them feel the outcast, which is which I felt was really interesting yeah. to listen to, like from the perspective of English supporters, they're like, nah, we've got to keep going. Don't make this, don't make this, make us stop coming. We need to keep going in numbers to drive them out. I thought that's But what about really like, think about young families. Good response. Yeah. Like little kids, little kids going to the game just to watch their country, watch their safe. idols play. They're going to walk out to the stadium and think, oh, look, my life is at risk here. Like there's people punching on, Little kids trying to get out of the stadium, you know. Well, imagine them. They'd probably be scared to go to another game. These yeah. are little kids yeah. we're talking about here. I, 
I totally agree with all your points, boys. Um, from what I've seen, it was a group of English fans that decided that wasn't at the gate to get out the stadium. At the gate where the Italian fans are being held in the away end. So they haven't even got out the stadium yet. And what's surprising is you think English fans doing this, you thinking probably 20, 25-year-old kids, right, going ballistic. They were all like 40, nah, 50, 60, 70-year-old men going berserk, yeah. pissed, off their brains. They've come from it's this background of hooliganism back in the day, right? We've had years. We've had, you know, England teams being kicked out of uh, out of Champions League for on ban for years because of what happened there at Heysel. We've had it because of just hooliganism in general. We've had plenty of it, right, in English football. Plenty of times that you can talk about where there's been a problem. My big issue with it is a couple of things. Firstly, the police got tired of holding him and they just let him out and fed him to the wolves. And I feel like that's because it's English police in England, firstly. So they need to be called out because that's not good enough. Right. I feel like that's in another country. It's not English police. If that was in Denmark, or Denmark, yeah, sure, Denmark. I meant to say, if that was in the Dutch, right, in the Netherlands, that was held on neutral ground, the Netherlands police would have kept them there at one in the morning if they had to, right? But because it was in England, England said, oh, whatever, right? Firstly. Secondly, I know it's a minority and I know that it's been condemned by a lot of people but has English fans over course of time ever learnt is my question on the basis of that the answer is no I'm sorry yeah like it's not just the same 40-50 people booing an anthem at the start of a game and it's not like it just happened in Italy it happened throughout the whole tournament any time they played at Wembley the national anthem of the team got booed to a point where you couldn't hear anything but the booing right that's not good enough. We've had previous. I think that's a little bit though. Some people start booing. That yeah, that's right, right. But I'm just I'm more worried about yeah. the hooliganism after the it. game, and I'm not defending the booing, right? But for me, if I was FIFA, I was UEFA, I was uh, maybe not UEFA because they don't really have a. Con- oh no, they do. They have a control over the Euro. Um, but yeah, if I was an international governing body of football. Right, I would be seriously considering what course of action you can take against England to deter this in the future. Now, it doesn't know. They don't care. That's the difference. See, these are not fans that are actually invested. They just want to go get pissed. It's not got anything to do with passion for their nation. So by punishing the team, actually isn't going to do see, anything. See, I still think it does. Up. I'm going to come out. You to need to why. get them, and you need to get them at the source. They are the people. You're talking about eighty thousand people in that stadium, and you're looking at thirty-five people. You you need to use your COVID tracing. You need to know what bay that was that was in, and you need to go head hunting and hit them at the source. Take hitting the team is not going to deter Damien. You're talking about teams being taken out of Champions League. What's happened? Nothing. It does not matter. You need to get these guys directly. See, not that you don't punish the team. I think punishing the team does nothing. We've seen that enough. I think as much harsh as it would be if you punish a nation. Doesn't matter. I they think do not it would care. matter. They are a, there to get B, pissed. If these They'll guys are of the older generation, these guys are of the older generation, which they are. If you ban England long enough for they these guys, they are already guys, banned from travelling. It does. No. It's only in England, isn't it? It's not when England go to Russia or Croatia. Yep. They don't arc up. These guys are people that are banned from travelling overseas. Stop playing in England then. I don't know what she was saying. See, my, my, one of England my suggestions is that you can't have England let host. Play away. You can't let England host yep. for the next twenty years. I agree with that. Next twenty years. I agree with that. Because in twenty years' time, all these you know, minority are dead, right? And yeah, as bad as that I sounds, that. right? They, they're gone, right? And it should be or dealt harshly. They'll be too old, they'll be too old that they can't get into a fight because they'll be 80, 90 <laughs> years of age, right? And a five-year-old will be, all right, what are you going to do, right? Anyhow, 
I honestly think, though, if you gave England some sanctions, people of the younger generation, the seniors that had these guys as mentors or father figures would turn and maybe want to go down that path of hooliganism and probably go, well, I can't really because this is what's going to happen again. So I honestly think you should ban him for the upcoming World Cup, which is harsh. Nah. You ban him for the upcoming nah, Euros, so. and you just say yeah, to him, hey, hey if you're going to act like this, no problem. We'll ban you. you there you are, it. right? I think you can. Just, now, do I think it's going to happen? No. Well, I honestly think right just now, take now, it away from them in the to. final. Legally, you will not be I allowed to. I think people to. have the power. No, because they are within right to qualify. You can't have democracy and then say, oh, no, you guys can't. You can't have qualifying. You can't have San Marino being allowed to qualify. It just means that because of in people. the future, I no, think no. all grand finals have to be taken away. Yeah, has to be taken away from them. Yeah, Even venue. just put it to a neutral venue. I think that's sad though. That's sad though. You should be as I think a nation. Should be a neutral venue regardless. I feel as a nation though, if you won the right to host, you should have the ability to go yeah. and play in your favorite. No one won the right to host this tournament. Yeah. No, it wasn't a host nation. Should never have been that final. I know it's a pain in the ass for ticketing, but it should be. Yeah. This is your ticket pending. You know, like the ticket should be electric. They're all electronic. I had four tickets. They were all electronic, right? I didn't have paper tickets. But the group games, whatever. Tell me where it's going yeah. for a final. If you buy that ticket for a final, you should yeah, exactly know right. I might have to go anywhere in Europe for this game. I'm, the ticket's that hot. You're going to travel. It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like you didn't matter where that gift was in Azerbaijan. You would have gone anywhere. Yeah, exactly. I understand. Agree with but that. Yeah, fair enough. That is exactly what needed. I to feel happen. like they should be allowed to host. I just think like the big thing here is England should not be allowed to host. Obviously, the that's not going to happen. And they shouldn't be allowed to host the Champions League either. Wembley and Wembley should not be allowed to host the Champions League either, just in case mm. the English team makes it. Should be a ban. Should be a ban. Maybe you can't on Wembley. be that exclusive. Nah, you, they won't do it because of. I think they will. I think they will come out and they won't say they'll do it. But I don't think UEFA. UEFA is never going to put their neck out like yeah, that. Yeah, no, UEFA probably aren't going to say it, but UEFA aren't going to award Wembley a. Yeah, I think so. Because too. of the the marketing that it brings and the opportunities of English teams to make the final, they're not going to miss out on that. Guarantee. I just think it's just really disappointing we have to talk about this after what was a good game. Very it's interesting a very game. good tournament. Yeah, they made some yeah. mistakes. And a pretty good tournament. And a great too. tournament. And we just had else. some English fans sour. And I'm not saying every English fan's like that. I just feel like if you put in serious enough deterrence for long enough, the people that have done this are going to be too old to nah. come back and he stamps out the those younger generation circle, doing it. No, but you can't then punish... It's one of those ones. You can't punish the 99% because 30 people go and cock it up for everyone in this day and age because it's just not how society works. You know what I mean? That's just how it is. Yeah. It's just... You can't take that opportunity away from everyone else because a few people decided yeah. to be dickheads when they were drunk. That's a that's assault. Like that's yeah. that needs to literally be dealt with by the police. Oh, it's ridiculous. And it wasn't. And it, and it wasn't. Yeah. And that was the and that's the issue. Because the police didn't do <laughs> enough police to protect. English police taking care of English. That's why. Well, then they need to be stripped because they're not protecting and serving everyone in that stadium. No. Yeah, I agree they with you. Stripped of their badge. You know, as policemen, and it's not, and unfortunately, it's not the first time we've seen. And it will not be the last police in. Oh yeah, we can we can mention we can mention many times when that's happened. Yeah. Oh wait. 
you know, it's bullshit because you, you take a final on, you got to be, you know, ensuring safety of not just players, well, of everyone there, and that clearly didn't happen. Another reason why England can't host, they cocked it up in 89, the police, and they've cocked it up here in the 2021 World Cup, uh, Euro final, and yeah, look. Yeah. So, You're never going to take a final away from big city. London because it's such a central part to Europe as well and it's a huge city and they've got the facilities and they've got the and they, they've they got the, they've got everything the training just the grounds right they've got everything set up yeah the, the fans it, it'll happen it, it's a generational thing it, it'll happen they will not survive like as I said before they're not allowed to travel it's just one of those ones where you just got to see out this wave of you know I don't want to brand Millwall but it's that Millwall mentality yeah. of just getting pissed and then just beating up anyone you can hold find. Hu- hold hooliganism. Needs to come out of football. I don't mind a little bit of banter and the, not argy bar. you got to remember though, it, they're not passionate supporters like we are. Yeah. They are just, they just want to go there and cause trouble. It's That's why it's hard to stop it by punishing the team because these people don't care for the team. They'll, they'll turn up, it's part of this ingrained culture that the team's there but it's not about the team. They're not, if you're getting that blind, you're not there to watch the game. They won't even remember the final. Nah, you know what not I mean? At all. So that that's the point. Like you can't punish the team for the actions of people that are just yeah, I hear you. You know, don't really care what happens. But anyway, that's how I see it. Anyhow, what are we? Any positive to finish off on before we go into the? Your questions? man of the match from the night for the final. Um, um, man of the match for the final. Look, I'm I'm going to give it to Chiesa. Without Chiesa, going forward, Italy wouldn't have even been there, to be honest. So I'm going to give it to Chiesa, even though Donnarumma did save Italy and save three penalties and probably had probably one of his best tournaments ever. I'm still going to give it to Chiesa. Um, I have no qualms with that. Uh, I know why they gave it to Benucci, and I thought he played pretty de- pretty well. And I think there's a case to even give it to Chiellini in that regard as well. Um, but, yeah, I feel like Chiesa was the one that really stood out of that match in terms of an Italian pros- point yeah. of view. I don't think you can really give it to an English player here. I didn't feel like no one particularly had the greatest day out. I feel like if they won, Luke Shaw probably gets a mention. Um, and I just don't think he did enough, though, to say that he wins one on the night when you lose. If he goes up, scores a pen, and then mm. you could probably go, oh, yeah, okay. You know, he's done everything he could. But, uh, yeah, I feel like the worst player on the pitch is one that's up for debate. But uh, I do think that my man Belotti came onto that game and had one of the worst performances. I'm going to say more than in that case. Ever. But, Paul, who do you think worst and best on the pitch? Uh, worst for me... Mine's yeah. more just over the tournament. I just thought Immobile, just because he had the um, hype coming in and you know, he only scored two goals for the whole tournament and just didn't look lively. So for me, he's sort of yeah. in that mix for worse. My best was Donnarumma. The penalties just put it over the edge for me. Um, I felt like he was pretty solid um, throughout the whole game, to be fair. Made a few good saves um, at big times. So... Uh, yeah, Chiesa's influence was big, but then the penalties, you know, he just turned up into a different beast. So, Donnarumma for me was my man of the match and fitting for player of the tournament, to be honest. Look, I feel like that was a great decision to make him play of the tournament. I thought he was outstanding all tournament. I think against Belgium, he had probably mm, I agree. the greatest game he's played in an Italian shirt. 
up until the final. Because against Belgium, he was weldy. The save he makes against the Barina, oh. Um, and then, uh, look, obviously in the final, he, he saves three penalties and probably clinches player of the tournament. Um, but yeah, and then I feel like for young player of the tournament, you can maybe give it to a couple of people like an Englishman like Saka. I thought I had a really good tournament. Yeah, he's missed a penalty. I'm going to go real outside the box here. Yeah, I'm going to go real outside the box here. I'm leaning Pedri. I'm, yeah. I'm giving young player yeah, of the tournament Pedri's to Pedri. Yeah, he yeah. was standing. Yeah. He's off to play the Olympics now too. Guy's going to be gassed. Guy's going to be gassed. Yeah, but he hasn't played heaps for Barcelona. He started playing a bit more, Barcelona but they'll, they'll ease him in. They'll, they'll ease him in, you know what I mean? So hopefully they ease him in. That'd be nice. But um, I rate him very, very highly. Um, I think we haven't spoken about this heaps, but like we, you know, obviously Barcelona with their financial issues... They've got some really good kids coming they through. Like, everyone's forgetting that. You know, if Mariba, you know, he started playing more recently as well and he's looked good. You got Ansu Fatty, you got Pedri, like there's, there's people coming you know, through there. Decent guys. If they can get some of these, you know, if they can get Messi's wage down like it sounds like they are, you know, they're gonna be able to actually get these, you know, Depay, Aguero, um, and oh, who was the last signing? There's one more. Can't remember now. Um, another signing that they made already, three, three free signings they'd made. They're going to look all right. Like, I think defensively they're going to struggle, but going forward they should yeah, you know, have goals yeah. in them, which would be good. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we all sort of agreeing with yeah, Pedri yeah, and Ped- Pedri. sort of Saka. Saka gets a mention. I feel like Saka was sort of already established, though. You know, like, starting for Arsenal for two years now. Like, yeah, but starting for yes, Arsenal, young, starting 19, for Arsenal, but... Yeah, so I mean, it's, you know, the, the thing I really rate with Saka is he burst onto the scene playing left back, and then has been that good that he's turned himself into the right winger. Like so, he's got it all, and it wouldn't surprise me if at some point you do see him maybe drop into midfield because he's got the tank, okay, he's got the technical it. ability. Yeah, you know, he is very explosive down the wing, but. You know, he could, you know, potentially be a person that does dictate play through the middle and gives you that real directness. So that wouldn't surprise me long term. Nah, it wouldn't surprise me at all if that happens. I would agree. By the way, just here we go. Pre-season, what do you, what do you made of that? Shit? Oh God. Oh, it's hard. It's hard to judge. So, I'm not sorry, Lou. We know you're much in, just yet. Sorry, Lou. We know you support Arsenal and Prem, even though you're more of an AC Milan fan, but. Uh, been pretty woeful. I'm not going to bash them just yet because pre-season's pre-season. Some years, some years you have a really, really good pre-season and then you flop and then other years you have a really shit pre-season and things click. So, you know, when you look at the team that played against Hiberni and second half they put some more first stringers on and they dominated and they just couldn't score. First half was just a bunch of kids. So for me, I'm not going to... Yeah, same. I'm not going to criticise them too much. I just think it's a little... I think that's just the perfect way to say it. Arsenal being Arsenal, Arsenal that is just... Leave it at that. (laughs) All right, let's move into our first question, which comes from JS. He asks, who are our top three goats of all time? Lewis, do you want to kick us off with your three goats of any sport? Top three of all time. (laughs) We're talking all sports here. Look, I'm going to have to give it to the FedEx yeah, Press for tennis. Um, I'm going to go uh, yep. R9 as Phenomenon. Um, and yep. 
I'm going to have to go Michael Jordan basketball. Yeah, good shout. Yeah, it's all pretty yeah, it's safe. All pretty safe. They're all pretty safe. I like them. Um, Me or oh, you, Paul? Man. Go. Uh, I'm going to get it out there. Shane Warne has to be one. I feel yeah, like unreal. Um, I feel like it depends on what you classify as your favourite sports. I've been watching a heap of it. I think what Tiger Woods does on a golf field, disregard everything else, is hands down one of the best sportsmen to ever live. So I'm going to give Tiger Woods number two. And then I feel like it would be a miss if this is not mainly a, a footballing uh, podcast and we don't put a footballer in there. Um, I know Louis got... No, it's PD Sports. Yeah, well, it's PD Sports, but we put, still, we talk predominantly football, don't we? We prioritise Yeah, football. so I feel like we have to put a footballer in here. And I feel like as much as it's going to open up discussion between who's the greatest of all time, just because as a coach I like the creativity and the understanding... And like the ability just to do something out of the extraordinary. Probably. For me, it's messy as the goat there too. Yeah. JS wants these in order. Oh, in, in order, Shane Warne, because of what he's done in total. I then think Messi, then Tiger Woods. Yeah, that's a good shout. Yeah. I've got two that, yeah, come straight yeah, to mind. Yeah, so good shout. I go Messi and Tom Brady. Yeah, good shout, Brady. As, so hard to pick three. As two for me. So hard to pick three. Um, the third one's the hard one for me. Um, I'm going to almost contradict myself because just in your Twitch chat, I just mentioned how I'm starting to lean LeBron yeah. for basketball because of his ability to win multiple championships at three different teams. And I'm talking myself into it. I'm putting LeBron in there. So I was going to say Jordan. It, it, I've got nothing to knock on Jordan other than the fact that he won six at one club. Whereas for me, the fact that LeBron's gone from Miami to Cleveland or from Cleveland to my turned the crap Cleveland team into playoff team, then went to Miami and won a few, then back to Cleveland and won one, and then there's one one with the Lakers. And I just think he just brings up everyone around him. Like Kyrie has not kicked on at all since playing with. LeBron, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like from those Heat days. Oh, sorry, from the Cleveland days. The Heat team just completely dismantled and only recently have been back in the the firing line. That is obviously because they just back him financially and then everyone pisses off. But, you know, just the fact that he's able to go into a team, change the culture and win things. So he's my third option. Yep. Messi's my second and as much as I hate it. And it's almost the same argument with me with Brady. Because Brady won so many with the Patriots and then went first year Tampa Bay to a team that was like pushing for playoffs but never got there, never was going to do anything, bang, go win it from fifth. Yeah, guy's a, guy's a goat in the NFL, isn't he? <laughs> Can't question that. Nah. Yeah. But I, I agree. But he's my goat. Well, I've got a question for like you, Paul, but Lou, feel free to answer this because I feel like I had this discussion in my Twitch chat today and then saw JS's question. That's a good question. What, what makes you pick your goat in any sport? So I, I had this chat and I had a couple guys that were new to my channel go not have a heated discussion but have a very good discussion in my dis, in my Twitch and they are part of the Discord. So shout out to Eagles um, and shout out to CompiCon um, when you do listen to this because they said they're going to listen to this podcast. Uh, they were discussing solely do you pick it based on stats 
And I came up with the conclusion, personally, you can't. But they do have to be considered. What's your thoughts? Yeah. Can't be solely on statistics because it doesn't tell the the reason why you... You don't watch sport for stats. No. You watch it for moments. Yeah. So sometimes people might not have the best um, goals per game or they might not have the most championships, but the influence they leave in the biggest moments might be what ties them over. Or they might not play for as long as other people, so their data doesn't look the same, but what they do in a shorter period yeah. of time might be... Um, so much better so that might be something to consider um, for me I'm biased we all have bias so I feel like we all lean towards certain sides and then obviously if you prefer Messi than Ronaldo you're going to say Messi should go over Ronaldo so that's why I don't like this conversation that much because it's so subjective and if I don't like a sport if I don't like cycling I might not say Lance Armstrong's a goat but someone that rides 100k's a week might say Lance Armstrong's their goat. You know what I mean? So that's that's why I'm not a big fan of this topic. A, I like to, I like comparing teams yeah. in the same sport more than players. I agree with that statement. Um, I feel like it's hard to compare players from different eras because of that. It's hard to compare players in the same era if they're not in yeah. the same position either. Um, I feel like what I try to do when this discussion comes up in my Twitch chat, and that's why I wanted to ask you, is I, I go, all right, you've got to have a basic base of statistics that you do have to look at because the numbers are a big disparity, like hugely different, then you've got to go, okay, what's up with that, right, firstly. But I feel like what impact did they make on the sport when they left? You know, what was the sport like? What is the sport like now, right? And that's where you go probably like Tiger Woods, the greatest golfer of the time because golf was whatever, right? It was nice. People enjoyed their golf to now, oh, my God, everybody wants to play golf because Tiger Woods, right? Um, or, you know, you've got to have a look at that aspect. But what do they do at different teams? I feel like is important. And then I feel like it's what's important is if there is a moment in any sport that you want to link it to, it does not matter what it is, who would you want in that moment? So for me, I use Michael Jordan and LeBron James in an example in my Twitch chat today. And I said... I didn't like your example. Part of you, part... Because LeBron's hit game winners. Yeah, no, that... You can't say no, 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 but game I mean, winners I'm, I'm, and LeBron No, doesn't. I'm saying that in that moment... There's only a handful of people that you want to give the ball to, right? And I said in that moment, you want to give it to probably... MJ's probably up there being number one, same with LeBron, right? But I'd rather it in LeBron's yeah, hands, I personally. Yeah, but what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that that moment has to be factored in to if you're the greatest. Yeah. So if you're telling me that, you know, for instance, there's going to be a player in 20 years' time and his name's going to be um, Bob Dickinson, right? And he's going to be some absolute freaking nature, seven-foot bloke, right? And he's going to become you know, the leading goal scorer in NBA history and do it in record time. People are going to say he's the GOAT. But then all of a sudden, he's had four chances to hit buzzer beaters to win a ring and he's missed all four. Would you say he's the GOAT? For me, I think that makes an impact into that decision. If you're talking about the GOAT of basketball, and I'll go, well, LeBron and, and LeBron and uh, MJ, game seven, you know, you need, a, you, need two points, you need two points to tie, three points to win. Second on the clock, taking a timeout. It's coming to you. I would rather have him than this guy called Bob Dickinson, who might be the leading point scorer in NBA history, but he's missed four of these. Yeah. I, I feel like that makes an impact. Um, use a basketball example. You could probably Genuine. say free kick, 90th minute, Champions League final, one all from a goal-scoring position. Who do you want on it, right? Or or if you want to, you know, you can liken it to... Janini. Yeah, Janini, <laughs> exactly. Huh? It, it's very subjective, <laughs> though, because Janini is the best free kick take of all time, probably. Um, and then you're probably going to go with... Uh, 
you know, different other sports, you can use different other things, you know. If you if you need, yeah. you know, 20th and over, last That's over of the World yeah. Cup, who do you want to put in that bracket of batsman cricket, for instance? That's why I don't like comparing cross sport because yeah, it's, it's so, so hard vague. it's so, it's so it's, open. It's, that's why i wanted to ask you a question it's so hard to like put a criteria out yeah. there i feel like you could do a whole podcast of going through different criteria and saying who's the goat of what or not or who's the yeah. best sportsman of all time coming up with a top 10 list but you've got to have a criteria that is so wide yeah might be yeah option for that might podcast. be a podcast we've got a few questions yeah. to go through um, mm. Most overrated Prem player Other than Callum Hudson and Yeah Dillard. I think what I've think got one too Who's an overrated Premier League footballer I've got a very controversial one <laughs> with it. Timo Werner Because we might have the same Look yeah He's, he's very good Wasn't who yeah. I was going to say But he's Look, up there Previously I think Watching him I In the last couple of years same Before him, he I moved to the Premier League Yeah okay player. fair enough The guy's got class he, he can turn a game around off his own boot. Yes, he can also do it for his country. But when you're chucked in a, a big fish league like the Premier League, it does really show that, obviously, if you're in a, a smaller league, um, how much you can handle as one player. So, for me, that's Timo Werner. I agree. Yeah, I, I, I don't have much to disagree with that at all, yeah, to be honest. Um, look, if the start of this season doesn't go to plan, I think the fact that Thomas Tuchel's looking at Erling Haaland probably tells you... Oh, you need to know that. Um, yeah, that yeah. looking in the market. Whether it means Timo might actually play on the left, might not be the worst thing for him too. Just, just use that pace a bit more maybe. We might see a different side of him, but... I'm sort of, yeah, reserving judgment for sort of the first yeah. few months of the season. And if it doesn't yeah, go to plan so again, then it's a very Fernando Torresi esque situation for me. Yeah, I agree with that. Have you got one there, Paul? I do. And I think mine's more of recency bias. Yeah. But mine's Ruben Diaz. I feel like um, as much as the guy is good, and I was actually going to go with him and one other from Manchester City. The guy's great, but and he's had a good year, but... But looked really okay. exposed out of that Man City defence. That's my thought process, and I felt the plaudits had come very, very quickly because people were, were trying to label who's the next Verge, who's the next Verge, and with Verge not playing this year, I felt like he might have got some plaudits just a bit prematurely. I felt like that City team was just chugging away, they were that strong and made him look a bit better, you know. But in the Portugal team, he looked very Suspect. shaky. Yeah, I, I was so actually going to mention him. That's just keeping an eye on him. I want to watch him in some big games I'd, before I start going after I've got two Man City players. That was one of them, actually. That was one. I was, okay. I was going Ruben Diaz controversially only because everyone thinks he's the best centre-back in the world at the minute. And I've gone, well, well, hang on a second. If you're the best centre-back in the world, Portugal should look a lot better than what they do, right? Yeah, I think that's uh, what I we forget like a little young, bit more that he's a bit like young. The ceiling's really high. But you cannot go out there and say that a lot of people go out there. Yeah, that he's young. A lot of people forget that. Yeah. A lot of people go out there and say he's better than Virgil van Dijk at the minute. Well, no. Sorry. Firstly, Virgil van Dijk got dribbled once in a whole year. And it's happened to Ruben Diaz many a time. I feel like that it's not me saying that he's overrated in terms of not being yeah. good, yeah, overrated fair. for how good he is. 
everyone thinks he's world class. I think he's yeah. a good player with a world class ceiling. He's just not world class yet, right? Um, uh, look, hands down, if I get this wrong and he turns in and he goes in and puts another Premier season like that, we're talking about, okay, hang on a second, the kid's special. But I also think playing for City helps. The other one, though, and he plays for City, you guys may disagree, but I feel like for what he should do for Manchester City, for how good everybody thinks this guy should be, he is overrated. And he's a guy that I know Paul's going to say is a little bit biased here, but I've been saying it. I said it when he left Liverpool Football Club that this guy was not even going to be good enough for Liverpool. Raheem Sterling, I'm sorry, I'm not sold. I've, you've got to say that he was a leading goal scorer in the Euros, but I'm sorry, he was fed the ball. He should be. In he's not league. overrated. He's had his best season. I don't though. think he's over. I'm not saying this year was his best. I think year. he's very overrated, he's overrated in the Premier League. I think As he's a Premier actually League passed. player, he's overrated. Nah. I, I, he's actually gotten worse because you can see he didn't play this year. So I'm not saying he's overrated because he's actually like not rated. If that makes sense anymore, like this year he barely started. You can't say he's overrated. Pep didn't rate him. Well, I agree with Pep Guardiola. I don't rate <laughs> him at all. So he's overrated. So the English, he's actually like regressed in the last year. Oh, and the half. English press think he's this unreal, world class player. No, they don't. No, no, no. no, they don't. They don't rate him. That's the well, problem. no one rates Gareth him. Gareth Southgate rates him. No, no one no, rates him. So you're guess fine. what? Gareth Southgate did he win the Euros? No, so obviously his opinion's wrong. Well, he scored the most goals for him. Yeah. But. That's Jesus, because he's using <laughs> yeah. Harry Kane as a number ten, not a number nine. Yeah, well, that's part of the yeah. problem, with Gareth Southgate. Yeah. But yeah, I, if he said Sterling eighteen months ago, I would have been like, yeah, I don't know about that one. But yeah, after what's happened the last eighteen months, he's really just he's fallen off a cliff on the earth. The cliff. So. Phil, oh, it's not that; it's Phil Foden's gotten a hundred times oh, better. What a player! Play on that left hand side. What you know? a player! So Fantasy Premier League guys, Phil eight mil. Phil Foden is a shout. Just telling you that. Give you tips away. No, I don't know. Look, in the draft, it's certainly going to get pick one's probably taking him, but, you know. Taking him pick one. All right. Anyway, another question. Yeah. Got two to go. This one I am going to be very open with. I've got no idea because I want to go in with this with the biggest open mind. So I actually haven't looked into any of it yet, but who do you guys think is going to make the final for the Olympics? Spain. Soccer. Spain win the whole competition. Yeah. That Spanish He's team is so strong. Nuts. Like, what are you sensing? Yeah, it's nuts. They should walk the competition. And saying that, though, there is some stronger other sides. I always look at South American sides do well because they do promote good youth down there. And I think Colombia generally do all right at the youth level, it seems. Argentinian squad looks and good yeah, too. Yeah, like, it'd be very interesting to see what other team comes around. Look, my prediction for the Olympic final, Spain versus someone else, Spain win. Mm. Yeah, same. Nah, look, I've seen the, uh, the Spanish team. I'm, I'm pretty set on the like Spanish team. team. So, yeah, yeah I, I agree with you in that one. Very, very low. Very, very yeah. low. What do we think Australia's chances are? Getting out the group? None. <laughs> None. I don't, we are so bad. I don't rate Australian football our at all. Our youth is so and bad our, at the yeah, moment. Yeah, our youth is even worse. Yeah, We've I agree. Got a long, long, long road to go to getting anywhere near 2006 again. <laughs> a very long road. Uh, but we'll cover that probably next week with the Olympics starting tomorrow. Yeah. Um, so the last question that's come in, which I didn't know was circulating at all, but there's been a rumour that there's a potential swap deal um, between Barcelona and Juventus for Dybala and Griezmann. Um, just general thoughts on what we think might come from that. I feel Griezmann might, if that is to happen, that might be a best case scenario for both teams. I feel like 
Piazza can play on that right wing, but Griezmann can go through the middle, can go off the right as well. Gives Allegri a few different options. He can play 4-2-3-1 with Griezmann in the 10, or Piazza in the 10 even. Um, Dybala linking up with Messi and Aguero, that would be pretty cool. As well, the Argentinian contingent at Barca. Um, I think that'd be a really interesting swap, to be honest. Um, obviously, a bit of an age gap between the two players, but you know Juventus have been known to take on some older guys on good money. So, what are your guys' thoughts on I that? I think it would be a very interesting swap deal, firstly, because I don't think you should be taking Griezmann for a younger Dybala. should be for a bit more than that, but it's not something that I, I wouldn't Look, I'm a big out, fan of I don't see it happening. Big, big fan. But what do you think, Lou? I think Dybala going to Barcelona would be sort of the same scenario that he's in at Juventus with playing time. I think with all the players that Barcelona has signed this year, you got obviously still Depay as well, which sort of is the same sort of position as Dybala as a centre forward role. Um, I think he's going to find himself back in the same position as he is at Juventus, which is really, uh, what's the word? Yeah, he's a, he's a class class player. He should be starting, especially in that team. Like, look, when, every time he comes on, he makes an impact. Yeah. So I think, personally, Dybala should be starting for Juventus. But I think he's going to be in that same sort of predicament if he does go to Barcelona. Griezmann, on the other hand, if he does go to Juventus, I think it could be a very good signing for Juventus. Um, but yeah, like it, it's very interesting. Yeah, it's it is an interesting trade. Yeah, imagine a link up with bloody Kiesa Griezmann. It's an, it's an interesting move. Hmm. Well, Barca do need to dump money, and he's on seven hundred thousand. Yeah, euros that's a why. They, that's why. That is nuts. That is, why. That is nuts. And imagine, well, I'm just thinking from a Barcelona perspective on the other side of this deal. Imagine if you're like, so front three, so you've got Messi, Pedri, Ensufati, Griezmann, Aguero, yeah, very Depay. deep. Very deep. That is lethal. That is, it is. Like, that's, that is deep. Yeah. That's deep. You can play in the Spanish Cup. You can play in the league. You can play Champions League. There's enough games there for everybody. He's not Coutinho, even playing. There's no way he stays. Nah, he's he's way too much money. Yeah, he has to go. Um, I think, nah, I think if that's your six guys that sort of all rotate through those three positions, I think the depth there, there's probably enough game time going around. I think you don't want to kill Pedri and Ansu Fati um, by starting him every week as well. Um, so I think the mix of experience and youth would be really lethal in that I setup. I think so too. But it's whether Dybala would want to play on the right as well. That's the other factor. Yeah. He might not want to. He might want to play through the middle and then cause issues and be out somewhere else. But it's interesting because there's a lot of teams looking for number nines and Dybala's not your traditional nine. But I'm just thinking, you know, if one of our guys was to go Damien, could he be someone that could fit into Liverpool's system potentially as well? Yeah, Damien? Yeah, Lou. I think I've lost Damien again. Um, doesn't matter. I'm just going to answer that then. I'm thinking that uh, Dybala could be someone that fits that system quite well um, to potentially replace um, Bobby. Um, 
and go from there. So what was the question we'll called? Apologies. Where that goes? Oh, I've just answered it myself. Um, whether Dybala could be the person that could go in and potentially be that extra option for Liverpool if we were to either sell yeah. or challenge Bobby for that centre forward. No, I, I wouldn't mind it. Obviously, I would ha- I would happily take it. And apologies, guys. I don't know what's been going on, but after like nine o'clock, my net plays a bit funny. I just dropped out and came straight back in. But um, yeah. I wouldn't mind it. I wouldn't say no, but at the same stage, I would rather keep our dynamic as it is and kind of strengthen probably up wide than have someone for Bobby in 10 slash 9. I don't think Dybala works as hard. So I feel like we need yeah. to go after a, probably a bit more of a harder working number 9 that's going to try and win the ball back, if that makes more sense in our system. Yeah, fair enough. Which is as well. But I wouldn't say no. I would rather take someone of his quality um, as well. We've also got something here for the Olympics, um, Paulie, as well, with our previous yeah, question. So they actually think that Spain, Brazil, France are your three clear favourites for the tournament. Um, I haven't looked at the French squad. Brazil will always be around the mark, you feel. But Spain are very short-priced favourites for the World Cup, for the Olympics and gold medal. But then yeah. if you're looking at other teams around, Argentina and Germany are decently long odds. And then outside of that, there's no one that really looks like challenging Spain in terms of squad, in the terms of like what, you know, betting yeah. outlets are trying to put down as like whatever. And then I'm looking at a team called Mexico and their squad actually looks like half a right considering guys on our own football manager as well in that young team. So maybe that's one that we'll pay out for is Mexico going deep yeah. in the World Cup. I'm just not sure really. I don't pay too much attention. So I'll be watching... The World Cup eagerly um, to see. I'll be watching this. I'll be watching this. Um, this Olympics like very eagerly, very very eagerly. Yeah, so yeah. good to see some young talent coming through, but yeah, not really prepared to put my neck out on the line for other anyone other than Spain because that's really the only squad that I've been able to unpack uh, fully. So looking forward to that over the, the coming week, which will be Jeez. nice. Hopefully, we get a bit of viewing of it as well, um, and we'll go from there. We've got some. Players playing for Mexico too at the minute as well. But they play anyone that jumps yeah, out. Yeah, the child is coming coming across as well as an overage player. Jeez. Henry Henry yeah. Henry Martin's coming across. Um, Aguirre who goes really well. Foot managers going. Uh, Luis Ro- Romo is a decent player as well. Uh, Cordova usually grows pretty well on um, FM pool as well. Twenty four year old. Yeah. Um, Eric um, Eric Aguirre who goes pretty well on FM as well Paul, that is going across too that's a b- yeah look um, all their players are 22 years of age that are the younger players because it's on the 23 comp as well they haven't picked up like any real 18 year olds or uh, anything which is crazy they're, they're targeting that age demographic which would be good to see but yeah, yeah we'll probably comment on that first round oh look we'll definitely um, keep an eye on it we don't do what we're doing week. with the Euros I don't think we would go like Fully yeah, in depth. You mentioned all well, that we yeah, say. exactly. I feel like it'd be very good viewing. And for Rods, um, I still think Spain win it, but watch out for that little Mexico side. Alrighty. I think that's where we'll leave it for this week. So, uh, Dame, do you want to start us off with the Equal Well, thank you very much, guys. It's been a fun Euros to recap. A uh, tournament full of goals and great moments. And my boy Panda playing in an international game of football. I have to mention him because I love him. But, uh, look, thank you very much for the support over the Euros and obviously with the podcast. I do recommend getting into the Fantasy Premier League as early as possible. We have maxed it at 12, haven't we, Paul? 
Uh, yeah, for yeah. now, but if we exceed that pretty early, then I'll open it up. For yeah, I was going to say, just get in early so Paul can either A, exceed it, B, if we need to, you know, really increase it, we will get information out there how to do it. Best place to do that thank is you in Discord, me. so please go follow. Secondly, Louis, thank you very much, Louis, for uh, joining thank us on the podcast. Thank you listening to say, this say Sports to lovely, podcast. Lovely, please lovely get around my boys, and that's it for me. Thank you for having me. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly right. About time we got you one, eh, Lou? I don't think so. Took us long enough. I had to pick the right moment. Nah, no, that's alright. Leave them out of the mix as well. Hey, look, we can bring you on to talk about Warford <laughs> yeah, if that's you want, it. but I don't think you want to go there. Yeah, uh, I thought so. We'll leave it for Milan. <laughs> alright, so once again, thank you very much for listening to the PD Sports Podcast episode 18. Hopefully you have enjoyed it. Once again, Discord link is in the bio of this episode. Make sure you check it out either on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you access your podcasts. Once again, I'm Paulie, and we'll see you next week for another episode.